Welcome to Two Moms on the Couch. Dan is a real psychotherapist, and Amy's a fake one. She's a comic married to a psychiatrist. And we're kind of related. Dana's brother is married to Amy's cousin. That's related, right? We're family. Mm-hmm. Together, we discuss the dilemmas and delights of having ambitions and teenage kids at the same time. At the end of this show, you'll have three useful tips to help you deal with the topic of the day, which today is therapy. What? (laughs) (laughs) So we thought about today's topic because our podcast is called Two Moms on the Couch, and we thought it was kind of a cutesy, clever pun (laughs) because we like to chill on couches and hang out, but we were also thinking of the therapy couch because Dan is a real psychotherapist and Amy's a fake one. But then we realized that we live in this weird bubble in New York City and that everybody here talks about therapy and does therapy and my therapist says and this and that and that not everybody lives in that weird bubble. Mm -hmm. So we thought we would talk about that bubble a little bit because it's really about mental health and staying healthy and... Uh, And kind of clarify that, you know, beyond kind of a bubble insular uh, point of view to to help educate people about staying emotionally Mm -hmm. healthy. Mm -hmm. By the way, yeah, we're going to leave the bubble or we're going to poke a hole in it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By the way. Hi, Dana. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) I know you wait for it. So there it is. So therapy. Therapy. In thinking about today's topic, I was thinking about some misconceptions I've heard about therapy in the past. Yeah, tell me what they are so that I can know. (laughs) I'm going to help you get out of the bubble. So one thing I heard somebody saying, they they were trying to figure out whether they should go to a therapist or a life coach. And this friend was concerned about going to a therapist because they thought that the goal of therapy was to make you really happy and this person's an artist and so they were concerned about being so happy that they'd lose their edge or their critical Mm. faculties Mm. or you know who they are and that they'd be in this fuzzy cloud of joy that would (laughs) keep them from properly perceiving the world. Mm -hmm. Is that how it works, Dana? That's a funny one. That one I never heard before. I've heard that about medication, that people sometimes fear taking medication because they're afraid that they'll become too happy or they'll lose their edge. But I've never heard that one before, that people are afraid that they'll become too blissful from therapy. But yes, Amy, that is a myth. And um, (laughs) no matter what kind of therapy it is, ideally it will help you feel better internally But that doesn't necessarily mean if you feel um, less conflicted that you're going to feel blissful, per se. So (laughs) I don't want to make any promises for too much joy. Um, But I think that it will make people, ideally, if people have a good experience and an effective experience, it will help them feel better. I I read this quote recently that I thought was very funny um, from Freud, Mm -hmm. who was kind of the founder of this whole thing even though a lot of people are like, oh, that guy's passe. 
that's my academic take on it. But um, but he said that the goal of psychoanalysis and, and psychotherapy is to transform your hysterical misery into common unhappiness. And I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> just the plain old... Yeah, just garden variety. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Existential malaise right. that we all have to suffer with. And I don't know if everybody does, but I think that actually Freud was a pretty... He was a pretty unhappy guy, I think, and he, he had a lot of reasons to be. He lived in sort of a difficult era and a difficult country. But I don't think that... I don't think that everybody feels the garden variety of unhappiness, but I do think that we have an expectation. There's like a current myth that we're supposed to be happy and we're all trying to achieve happiness. And I think that, or at least what I've read and what my own life experience has been and what I see with other people is that life ebbs and flows our experiences and by virtue of being human that we we experience a continuum of emotions and a continuum of experiences and that there is a lot of suffering that goes along with being alive. And it's just a matter of managing it. And also I think being aware of, and maybe tolerating if you're anything like me, the joys or the happiness or the the pleasures of life. But Freud did think that we're driven by pleasure and that a lot of times what creates the conflict, that we have sort of conflicts that there's a there our superego or that society kind of impedes our happiness in some way or impedes our our natural urges for pleasure like our hedonism yes, by by yes. being the disciplinarian yes, yes yeah which is i think still accurate i mean there's a lot of freud that probably is you know he, he was from the late 1800s or early 1900s not a big feminist not really, no. But I do think that he, he had some cool ideas. I kind of admire that he came up with this in the first place. Then again, if you were doing drugs and cocaine, maybe we could come up with it too. Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh, wow. He used cocaine uh, partially because I think for pain. but And also because he loved to party. <laughs> Sig. <laughs> well, okay. So, so myth number one, check. Um, yeah, won't be blissful. Yeah. But hopefully we'll feel less conflicted and we'll just feel better in your own skin. So how do you know how to identify, I mean, he calls it hysterical misery. They use the word hysteria mm -hmm. in a very different way at mm -hmm. that time. But mm -hmm. how would you describe the type of misery that, you know, might get you to be concerned enough that you might want to pursue some sort of treatment, be it therapy or psychiatric treatment. Mm -hmm. How do you know how do you know where you are on that spectrum versus common unhappiness? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what is the what did he call it? What hysterical his, misery. Hysterical misery. So the the modern day translation probably is that if if you feel as if you're having some kind of symptoms, whether it be, we call them symptoms in the field, but um, if you're having difficulty with your daily functioning because you are in such distress, whether it be that you're having difficulty sleeping, eating. Um, Doing your job, getting a job, holding a job. Yep, concentrating. That, um, and if it lasts for 
two weeks or more, that's usually kind of the rule of thumb, then you would probably benefit from consulting with somebody. And once again, the rule of thumb is just that if you feel as if it's interfering with your functioning, which I think is such a, a broad or non-specific criteria, but I think that you know yourself and you know how you function optimally or how you hope to function optimally. And if you're unable to do so, and if your functioning has deteriorated in some way for a prolonged period of time, although two weeks, although if you feels short, it feels short, but if you're really, but if you see like a precipitous change or something, definitely a precipitous change, or even just like, even if it's gradual, but you feel for two weeks or more, I think that that that's that may also be partially hormonal yeah well. I was just thinking what about menopause and PMS it's uh, like you know or PMDD premenstrual dysphoric y- disorder yes, or something yes. like that feels like a real two-week roller coaster yes for a lot of people and is a legitimate kind of disorder so to speak I yeah mean, it is and so that is something that warrants attention professional attention or consultation that I've gotten consultation for and it's really helped me and changed my life I think I talked about this during the last episode yes a little I bit, think that you so. did but that is that is it that's what happens to you oh yeah or happened until I got treatment uh-huh I mean, we can go back to that, and I'm going to share more about myself because I know you don't come here for objective facts <laughs> that you can get on Google, people. I know you want the tea and the dirt and the personal stuff. Oh, you and say tea? My kids say my, tea. Yeah, my yeah. daughter said tea. Yeah. I just learned that one. <laughs> yeah. I like it. We're so current. I know, aren't we? I think we're only like 17 years behind. I think I it's been out there for a while, but yes. it's new to me. <laughs> Okay, so is there a time that people should run, not walk, to get help? Uh, yes, there is. Anytime you're having suicidal thoughts are kind of an interesting one because I think that just by virtue of being human, you're either alive or dead, and oftentimes dead is the, I don't know, the exit strategy of sorts. And Excuse me while I call 911 for <laughs> <Dan> <laughs> But we do. We are all operating with some awareness that there's an ending to this. Right. And right. So, um, so thoughts about death are not necessarily problematic, but still warrant attention. But if you have any thoughts about how you would go about doing it or fantasies about it in any way, that is something that you should seek help or let somebody know immediately. Okay. And we'll put in the show notes a suicide hotline number unless you have one off the top of your head. I don't have it off the top of my head, although I should, but I certainly have a whole host of resources for people. And now there is such increasing awareness about it, and there have been so many kind of public suicides or there's been so much more publicity that I think that it's just become much more part of people's general knowledge. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope people know that if you're in that situation, get help. And also, if you have those thoughts about harming other people, that is one too. Absolutely. Not just yourself, but others. Yes. Or if you, I guess if you know somebody who's actively thinking about hurting someone else, Mm -hmm. that that would be a place to get help or alert somebody. So you are a real therapist. I am. I am. Well, because I know that, you know. Are they a harm to themselves or others yep. is part of, the yeah, criteria. part of the criteria for 
getting treatment or, you know, sometimes people need an intervention at a hospital Mm -hmm. if it's really grave and kind of imminent feeling that if this person, uh, you know, doesn't, has the means that they will take action Mm -hmm. to hurt themselves Mm -hmm. or others. If someone near you uh, is feeling those things, get rid Mm -hmm. of firearms, Mm -hmm. medicine, you know, like help remove the... Yeah, sharp objects. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it sounds... Yeah. But but we're talking more about therapy, but those are more like psychiatric emergency Mm -hmm. type situations, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is that the... Yes, those are psychiatric emergencies. And a lot of times... When people are seeking therapy, I mean, that's one, maybe one end of the spectrum, but there are a lot of iterations of that, that people seek treatment. Yeah, yeah. But I just thought I'd put that out there as a safety thing for people. Yes. You know, yeah. Okay. So here is another myth. And this is one that I personally suffered from myself. I know this was before this was when my husband and I were both in the film business before he decided to become a psychiatrist thereby making me a fake therapist by association and this myth is that um, when I there was somebody close to me that was having some really serious issues and so I thought oh I'll go to therapy so I can help them with their issues and you know, I don't know if I wanted to understand their stuff more or or what I was thinking, but I've since learned that you can't go to therapy for someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and was that person going to pay for your therapy? <laughs> <laughs> no, that person was not. But I, you know, I was genuinely concerned wow. and I, I, you know, genuinely walking in the door for the first time thought okay this is gonna help and what I didn't realize was that this person close to me that their pain was causing me pain and that what I really needed was help dealing with you know my own emotions around what was going on with them and not not their stuff that I that my therapist wasn't gonna fix them yes (laughs) But that is so interesting, and it's probably diagnostic in and of itself, that you were generous enough to go to try to help someone else, what probably speaks to the way that you connect, or the way, or the kind of connection that you had to that person, and... Or that I was in denial about my own stuff. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps. (laughs) And how helpless you must have felt independently, that you felt like you needed help in order to even manage the relationship, or manage the feelings that got engendered as a result of that relationship but that is yeah all of these I didn't know that that was well that one doesn't I don't know if that is as much of a myth as the first one because in some way a lot of times two parents will come when they're having difficulty with their child and they want to better understand the child maybe even understand where the kid is developmentally to get some insights, but they don't necessarily want to bring their child in for therapy. And a lot of times it illuminates things about the parent, about their own psychology or the way that, or their relationship with their parents. And so in that way, I think that sometimes someone can go to therapy, not necessarily to change the other person, but when you're really connected to somebody, if you change, then the relationship has to change because you are connected and it's a dynamic patterns change and alter and so 
Yes. Or at least that's what the attempt is. I yes. Mean, you know, we talked about this with the holiday thing about how, you know, we might go to a holiday meal and feel like I've changed and then the old patterns come back. Yeah. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Uh-huh. 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 Well, another example of this one that, you know, some of these things, they got to be blind items. People that we know, people that we love. Uh, so, but recently I was talking to someone I'm close to and they were having a challenging relationship with somebody close to them. And it was causing them some of these things like, loss of sleep or you know ruminating thoughts <laughs> Wait, over and me? over again no it wasn't you <laughs> oh it's not always about me <laughs> it's not no there are other people with problems <laughs> okay no. yeah. yeah so so this person was ruminating about this challenging relationship and losing sleep over it and so I said hey this seems like it's causing you a lot of anguish maybe you could see somebody to talk about it and they said I'm not gonna waste my time and money on that person Mm. and I Mm. thought it was so interesting Mm. because I was like you're the one feeling the anguish that person you're not gonna be able to change them or fix them or therapize them or heal them uh, you know, you can just big manage your own yes. feelings yes. about it. But I just, I thought it was funny that is because, really funny. you know, the, the instance about myself that I was giving the example of, that happened um, like a long, you know, more than a decade ago, mm-hmm. whereas this was really more recent. Huh. And it's just, it's interesting. Yes, it, it is. It, it all persists. And it makes you realize, too, that relationships are such a two-way street. And so there's always, you're always a participant in it in some way, even if you're not, you're not necessarily the cause, but the discomfort that arises as a result of being in a relationship with somebody has to do with you, that it, it I use a trigger or, you know, it sets off something in you and if you can have a better understanding of that, you will likely have more effective relationships later on or something like that. But it Or inner peace. Not happiness. It, Don't worry. <laughs> you're not going to have happiness. <laughs> the threat of happiness. Yeah. But I think that a lot of times, too, we like to, when we're in relationships with people, we project so much that so we blame them or we think that they are the cause of our... Or the crazy one. Yes. Or the... Yeah. Yes. When we're all, we are relating to them, and if it's if we're have feelings, then somehow or other, there's I can't explain it. But it takes two to tango. You got just it. to resort to mm-hmm. cliches. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that person out on the dance floor and you watching mm-hmm. and trying to fix them on the dance floor. Yes. Yeah. Terrible metaphor. It's just, it's atrocious. It actually, but even sitting sitting beside the dance floor is also indicative of something. I oh, think. that you're just looking at the dancer yes, with yes. your thoughts. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was recently looking at the letters to the manners section in the New York oh, Times. Yes. I think it's called Q's uh-huh. or something. I like love Mind that. your P's and yes. Q's. So many times in that, people write in with something that they find offensive like can you believe this person Mm -hmm. did this Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times I see what you're talking about with Mm. relationships Mm. that it's not always the thing the other person did, but the thing that you need from the other Mm. person that they're not giving to you Mm. or that you're kind of disappointed Mm -hmm. in. And it just just was interesting. It made me think of that when we were talking about relationships and kind of... You mean that the the person writing in is somehow has some part in this or right they don't realize they're part of the tango or you know they're instead of going to therapy to fix the other person they're writing into (laughs) this because it's cheaper Uh (laughs) to write a letter to the Uh cute guy Uh and uh and hoping to get, you know, some justification, like, I'm right, uh-huh. I'm okay, you know, I should be offended about this yes. because I've been wronged yes. or, or whatever. I mean, this is getting, this is not totally everything that therapy is, but it's just interesting talking about relationships yes. and this idea that you could fix somebody else or help somebody else or change somebody else by either going to therapy yourself or waving a newspaper piece <laughs> in their face. <laughs> Also, and it is therapy related in that a lot of therapy and a lot of what people learn in therapy, especially in couples therapy, but maybe an individual as well, is a, is the idea that we have so many so many values and beliefs and feelings about things that are are largely unconscious. They just become woven into the fabric of who we are, and so we think that something is objectively wrong that somebody else does or says and a lot of times there are very few objective people treat subjective experiences as if they are objective like they'll say you unless something is a fact like I don't know what's what's the capital of the country kind of thing like and and someone is disagreeing about that that there is a factual disagreement there but a lot of times when people are disagreeing especially in therapy or talking about something that's emotional, it's really subjective. And It's I, like you should, like everybody knows you should X. Exactly, exactly. Or that you're wrong, you're wrong. And a lot of times it's your interpretation or the, or the meaning that you assign to something. So we think, you know, in certain families, certain things are acceptable and certain things aren't. And they just become sort of part of your value system and you're not thinking of them as objective values. It comes up a lot in politics too, I think. Um, And a lot of times therapy is even just understanding your particular meaning and your interpretation or perception of certain actions, behaviors, whatever, that are right or wrong. Like a patient the other day was talking about her son-in-law who does not, when she comes into the room, he never gets up to greet her and to kiss her hello. And while that is, I think, by many objective standards, kind of common courtesy, in his family, that isn't, it was just sort of part of the warmth of the way that people were. People came in and out, and you don't necessarily have to have any kind of fanfare. And so she feels like and attaches a lot of meaning that it was insensitive, that he's rude, that he doesn't care about her, that he doesn't love her. He must not love her daughter because he doesn't you respect know, get off the, the mother wow. yes and <clears throat> and in actuality and that's something that to her felt like a fact of course you get up when somebody enters the room especially somebody who's an elderly older. woman yes. i mean i don't know if yes, they're elder but, older, but you know older, older than, than you him. right yeah 
Wow. And so, yeah. and, and that's something that we would never think necessarily is subjective, but in a way it, it is. Right. Well, it's more right. subjective. It's than, not than that the we capital. wouldn't think it was subjective, but it's that we, we might, if we were a camera looking at that from the room, we might not see anything amiss there. Whereas there's an entire story inside of her yes. about what that means yes. and what the significance is. And he might be having a totally different experience yes. on the couch, which is, oh, gee, I'm really happy to see my mother-in-law. She looks great. Uh, I'm glad she could be with us today. Yes. And I mean, it kind of goes back to that thing that you were talking about last week of ascribing good intent to people and checking your your meaning creation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. that you're doing mm-hmm. because you can get... So that's one way to, to be a little healthier, I guess. But it's interesting that sometimes... I think with therapy, for example, one time I, I needed some therapy recently. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you being judgy about it? <laughs> Me? <laughs> spent more time on couches I know the whole point of this is to destigmatize it and you're sitting there going oh as I sit on my own couch and we'll be sitting on someone else's couch later today Uh, no judgment keeping it real here keeping it real no but but I I had something going on in my life and I could just feel that I was stuck in this narrative and this story and this relationship and I kept hashing it over and over again in my head and when I was working out it would be the Mm. the anger that fueled me so it was great for that but (laughs) you know I feel like I was unable to move forward and get past this story and this narrative and this thing and I knew I was doing it even Uh you know and I knew it was unhealthy and I knew that it was on me and it wasn't on anyone that anyone else and yet I was stuck Mm -hmm. and so I think that was a lot of why I pursued going to therapy the last time I did and it was kind of an invisible process. I mean, I feel like the first couple months that I was going, we we talked through that a lot and worked through that a lot. And then all of a sudden, it kind of wasn't a forward-facing part of my narrative mm. in the same way. You know, it didn't feel like there was a moment when I was like, aha, I'm unstuck. <laughs> you know, my life is awesome. <laughs> And at the same time, Mm -hmm. I see that I've moved forward with some things and that I don't ruminate on that Uh and that when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's to go to the bathroom, not to talk about (laughs) in my head how I've Uh been wronged or whatever. And so, I don't know. I guess I thought I would share my own personal story of, you know, another way that it can be really useful to get help. And also, and did it feel to you, because a lot of times people say to me that a therapist, and I've been accused of being like a paid friend, Mm -hmm. and so did it feel to you like it was something that you could have worked through with another friend, not necessarily that person with whom you were having the conflict, but if you talked about it with your husband or your friends who knew you well, how did that differ from the therapist? It's hard to say in a way because I did talk about it with my husband, but, and he was really supportive. And, but 
it wasn't, I wasn't getting unstuck. Mm -hmm. And I also had a little bit of a feeling like he was kind of like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been dealing with real problems all day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he, he was totally supportive, but at the same, I don't know how it was different in a way. Maybe that is one of the ways that it wasn't, you can only burden relationships, quote unquote, burden relationships for so long. And part of the beauty of therapy is that it's all about you. It's for it's a person who's there solely to help you untangle you, and it's not, and is being paid, and it's your hour that you own literally. And so, you can feel entitled to talk about it as much as you want, ruminated about it as much, and not worry that the other person, ideally, if the therapist is the way one hopes a therapist would be, that the therapist will focus on you exclusively. But then also, were you able, did you, were you able to apply whatever clarity you got from that experience to other relationships? Like, did you see that there was a pattern in any way? Mm, Not so much, just because that was the thing troubling me. Mm -hmm. And in all other areas, my life is utter perfection. And so I didn't (laughs) need it. I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I don't. No, I mean, that was what was kind of strange about it was just I didn't even realize I was unstuck until a while later, kind of looking back and being like, oh, this isn't this isn't weighing on me the same way. And, you know, maybe some of it was the passage of time or I don't know what, Hmm. but uh, but I think it really helped. And I felt like I had a strong ally uh, and, you know, it is different from a, quote, paid friend because there is I, – I just – yesterday, I really like my therapist a lot. And I do – she's not one of those people that just sits there and nods uh-huh. while I spill my guts mm-hmm. and then says, time's up. Uh-huh. Those, those are kind of outmoded, <laughs> Yeah, right? they're a little yeah. outdated, but there are people there who are still some, do yeah. that. But I, you know, I know enough about her to know that we have some common interests. And I said to her, it's so sad because I appreciate this time so much, but I want to spend half the time talking about your stuff, Uh you know, like you would if you went to coffee with a friend. But there is a certain discipline, actually, that's a little bit challenging about staying focused Mm on yourself and your feelings mm-hmm. and it can get a little uncomfortable or it's I was... a relationship like no other yeah but I think that therapist personalities are so different and even if two people subscribe to a similar style or theory or school of thought that just by virtue of being different people with different life experiences that the experience is very different. It's very much like a chemistry kind of Mm. thing, that it really, it's nice to have similarities or to identify with someone or feel understood by somebody. But I think that that comes almost after the chemical connection in a way, that there, there has to be some kind of chemistry where you feel like, where you feel safe with the person, that you feel like that person is genuinely interested in you that you feel like the person understands you in a very deep way is is critical. And then it's almost as if, then if you also like their shoes or something like that, that's almost, 
secondary, but it could be the first thing that registers like, oh, I like her office or because I'm superficial that way. Right. Like, or the way that person looks or dresses or. We know a very funny, strange story about um, an old friend of ours who had a therapist who wore the exact same thing every time uh-huh. that this this woman saw her. And so one day she said, you know, what's going what on? What up with that? What up, Mike? Now, what up with that? And the therapist terminated her. The therapist really? stopped treating her. And because of that question, I think, and we were all like, what kind of a... Th- mm. Like, yeah. is the bigger sin wearing the same thing every week, or is it terminating because of that? I don't know. Anyway, it was there it was one of those crazy. More. Yeah, there crazy. there could well be more yeah. to this story. There always is, huh. but that's um, But I thought, but we always find that to be a really amusing. Wow. Yeah, tale. So, okay, here's another conception that I think some people have about getting treatment for mental health issues. People should be able to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and deal with their problems on their own. There's nothing that a beer, a long walk in nature, or working more can't fix. So people think that too. I think I'm people really think that. I, I think people think that, that you should deal with your own problems yes. and that you don't want to air the dirty laundry yep. to some person mm-hmm. that's not in our family mm-hmm. and that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Some nosy person who's just trying to exploit you for your money. Yeah, I have a friend who's had a lot, you know, a lot of challenges. And I think she's, I don't know if she's had depression or sadness or what, but, you know, she said that in her relationship that her partner is like, don't get therapy, don't get medication. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I think that, I think that that's the beauty. I mean, of course, I'm biased because I'm right. a therapist. I mean, I'm not trying to get business, but I'm, I do really believe in the process and I believe in the value of it and I believe in the value of relationships, especially when somebody is educated and trained about the human condition. And I think that probably or ideally a therapist's willingness to entertain or consider like the depths of someone's soul that's typically socially inappropriate or unacceptable is another advantage that you sort of hope that the therapist has seen it all heard it all or nothing would shock the therapist I even I had said that to somebody not so long ago who was really because so much of our I think a lot of our Shtick is based in shame, but anyway, I, you mean human shtick is based human, in shame, I or yours lot, and mine? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it could just be us. <laughs> right. Hopefully, we have company out there. And I said, and the person was reluctant to share something, and it felt comfortable enough for me to say, like, just try me. Like, the, what do you think I haven't heard? And I have heard some pretty amazing stories that even in my efforts to be not judgmental, I oftentimes think when I'm outside of this room, what would I think? Or, or, or I think about it later. But I am surprised. And people have asked me this a lot as a therapist, even because I can be I come from a sort of judgmental background and, and I can be judgmental. But when I'm with a patient, I'm certainly judging, and I'm sure I'm judging more than I realize just by virtue of being human, but I really am, I'm, I'm open. I'm sort of like, lay it on me. I, I, I 
genuinely want you to feel better. So I don't care what it is that you say or how disgusting, how, I mean, I'm sorry that the person is ashamed of it, but nothing. Yeah, like things, you know, there are things that are socially acceptable. That's why you don't walk down Fifth Avenue and see everybody picking their noses and hawking loogies, you know, like, like there, you know, right. there are things yeah. and we're, and yet we're all disgusting, you know, yes. have, is there no one among us who has not hawked a loogie, you know, but uh-huh. at the same time, so you know, I don't know, I guess, I guess what I'm imagining you mean by judgmental or judging is that, you know, you're processing something it and, and understanding where it fits in that spectrum. Yes. And at the same time, it's like you're looking at the world through their eyes as yes. much as you can in a way to help them and support them yes. versus being like, oh my God, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> right. Like that's not, that's not the game. No. Although sometimes it is, sometimes a therapist can be a good reality check. Like I have seen... I saw somebody who was having a lot of difficulty dating, but he would touch himself a lot. And I, I finally said to him, like, I, do you know that you do that? Do you realize that you do that? Just, just as another person or as a reality check, not that I'm so normal, but I feel like that's probably something that is universally recognize maybe some people like that but like um, touching on the wee wee yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah and I thought outside the pants outside the pants but still but yeah, not, th- not great I, for not, state stuff I yeah. don't think a lot of women that was one thing that I noticed I mean also that and and therapists when I have spoken to other therapists or in different kinds of supervision we've talked about if somebody has a very strong odor and is having difficulty in relationships, is it the therapist's responsibility to to say it in a thoughtful, sensitive way? I was thinking something else, too, about... Oh, I was just thinking, as you were saying, about that I'm stepping into, or the therapist is trying to see the world through your eyes, that it is really a privilege in a lot of ways. Like, I think oftentimes I cannot believe that I'm being paid for this because I think that it is so cool... I don't know, to have the honor in a way, not to sound corny, of somebody trusting me enough to expose things that they wouldn't expose to anybody else. And I feel like I don't I don't take that lightly and I don't take it for granted. And I feel like I want in some way for that person to realize that, uh, I don't know, that I recognize that and that I cannot believe that I get paid for that because it's such a, it really, that's a cool, like yeah. what a cool way to live my life Not yeah that I guess this is that's, about me but well yeah I mean but it really is it really helps people that that reminds me I was actually talking to my husband last night about this topic and we were talking about the the brain studies about therapy mm-hmm. and how it actually creates changes in the brain yes. that they've been able to monitor with MRIs. Yes. And, and so he was telling me about this one study that said that, you know, medication causes actual changes in the brain that you can measure with an MRI and that therapy causes very, very similar yes. changes in the brain. And we were talking about it and just saying, well, of course, you know, if you have a negative experience like a trauma 
or something horrible happened to you, of course that's going to change your brain somehow. And that therapy in a way is uh, creating uh, positive inputs instead of negative inputs into your brain. And then that studies show that for depression, for example, the only thing that changes the brain more than medication or therapy is medication and and therapy. therapy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of research now about mirror neurons, that when somebody is mirroring you, kind of how therapeutic that is and how that creates like new neural pathways, which I think is cool too, because oftentimes the cure, so to speak, is in the relationship. It's in the relationship with this person. And while it isn't the kind of relationship that you would have with the person outside, if you were having coffee or something, that there is something ideally, or at least the way I see therapy, or the way that I give therapy, do therapy, is that I am a real person. I, I try not to overshare and certainly try not to detract. Like do a podcast or anything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I would never want to do that in my office. <laughs> but I do want to be a real person because I feel as if if I'm acting in a role that doesn't feel genuine to me, I don't feel like that would be beneficial to the person. So I may be selective in the parts of myself that I'm sharing as much as I can be conscious of, but I do want to be real so that that person is really having some kind of genuine, um, I don't know, neurological exchange or something like that. Like it's a, we're two humans in a room trying to figure it out. And while I do have all the answers and I've completely figured out my own life, you know. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that yeah. earlier. Gotcha. Together I am. Yeah. Wink, wink. Not, not. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, the more human I can be, the more helpful it is. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I believe they call that transference and countertransference. Oh, and there's all this stuff all... going on yes. there that that's, that's where it happens. Yes. In, in the transference. Yeah. Living, living in it. Mm-hmm. I am just dropping a bunch of terms. <laughs> because you are a real therapist. Right, right, but uncertified. So just real quickly before we wrap up, you know, we've primarily been talking about talk therapy mm-hmm. and psychodynamic therapy. You just gave Another me the look word. like, oh, my God, you used so to. Right, real. right. But there's other kinds of therapies that, that you wouldn't go to a psychiatrist for necessarily, that you could go to a licensed clinical social worker for or a psychologist, yes. like a somebody with a PsyD or a PhD in psychology or an MSW, a mas- person with a master's mm-hmm. in social work. These are some of the people that give different kinds of therapy. And so those types of therapy can be useful for specific things. Like it's it not... Not all therapy is the same. Like some things are more short term mm-hmm. and like, not about the transference. Right. More manualized, they yes. say. Like they're more kind of prescribed yes. as a process that you'd go through. Yes. Like, you know, for PTSD or, well, you you know, yeah. like there's CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. And, and what are the things that's good for again? <laughs> that's good for a lot of things, for de- you know, for depression, for anxiety. And also, just to clarify, like a, a psychiatrist in, is an MD and is the only one who can actually prescribe medication. They call that psychopharmacology. And many psychiatrists also do therapy. I think your husband does yeah. both. 
and actually there are psychiatric nurse practitioners too who I think can also prescribe medication but social workers psychologists PsyD C I'm giving all right the, right PsyD, all the degrees MSW CSW LCSW um, now there's also something a licensed mental health counselor LMHC which is a newer I think in the past 10 15 years oh, or wow. so. Oh wow, I haven't heard of that one. I don't know that much about it and I don't know if you can get insurance reimbursement mm, for that. Mm. Although it's licensed so maybe. And then there's also stand-up comics who are married <laughs> to psychiatrists. Right, and they're I don't know the acronym for that <laughs> yet, but um, cannot prescribe. Yes. <laughs> AV. <laughs> So, and all of these different professions can perform all different kinds of therapies. So psychodynamic therapy can be, you can get or uh, participate in or be treated through psychodynamic therapy with any of these backgrounds. If that's their specialty. Like there are some people who are really into doing something like CBT where there's a certain set of steps and, you know, they, you know, somebody good will make it what you need and kind of customize it for mm-hmm. you but but it is a process of you know for example I know if you have a lot of thoughts that are really negative mm-hmm. about yourself mm-hmm. some of CBT can be about getting you to understand better what are my thoughts and perceptions versus what is reality and there's a real process yeah. for going through that you really are like a therapist I think I'm giving <laughs> so you fake. an honorary so degree. fake thank no, you that is exactly yeah. what it is and I think that a lot of times too people who resist the idea or are not as interested in knowing the origins of their thoughts or behaviors or feelings might look for somebody who specializes in CBT although once again I think that a skilled person would also be able to help someone identify at least from where these thoughts come but the CBT especially is less emotionally driven it's much more thought-driven and behavioral and, as you say, like formulaic, that there are very identifiable steps and there are identifiable measurements to determine, you know, how much less are you thinking about this or how many fewer times this week did you engage in this particular behavior. There's also an outgrowth of CBT called DBT, which is... Dialectical behavioral therapy. Oh my God, I'm so impressed. Which it's is great pretty. for BPD, which yes. is borderline personality <laughs> disorder. You're like a walking DSM. It's really <laughs> Which is the diagnostic <laughs> statistical manual. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God, Amy. I'm so I'm un- such I'm a failing. wannabe. No, I'm so proud that you know all of this. And um and DBT was originally it was created in like the nineteen eighties and it was for borderline. by Otto Kernberg. No, oh, not good. by him. No, Marsha Linehan. Oh, right, actually. I knew that one. Very good, though, Otto Kernberg. That's really he was object relations, right? Um, and he did work. He does work primarily with borderline personality and narcissistic personality. But dialectical behavioral therapy it does use a lot of CBT techniques and elements. And then it also has it's a slightly more in depth model in that there are groups associated with it and a lot of homework associated with it and there's also a real mindfulness component which I think can be tremendously helpful 
and there's a lot of emphasis on mood regulation and and like tolerating distress learning new ways to be able to manage feelings so it's almost like dbt integrates in some of the emotional aspects that traditional cbt does not and i think that actually a skilled therapist will kind of integrate all of these unless somebody is seeking something very specific, which I think that it's helpful to tailor make your therapy and your approach to the person and what they need and integrating in a lot of times when people ask me, what is your approach? I say, which feels like a cop-out, but I'll say eclectic because it is. I, I think that they're all useful techniques and I don't necessarily operate from a very prescribed, actually this is in my office and another therapist who uses my office does EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, re something. I should, Training. Reprocessing. Reprocessing. I, I just and, made that up. I think. And, yeah. and that also, it's another treatment for PTSD and for trauma, but there are many, many approaches, and I encourage people to even just familiarize themselves a little bit, but in actuality, the therapist, it's really so much about the chemistry, feeling understood feeling validated, which sounds very simplistic, but really is the key to the cure. Oh, yeah. If you have a person who's sitting there going, yeah, but you're not really sad, are you? (laughs) Not helpful. Unless that's what you want. Right, right. Okay, so this has been interesting. I feel like we could go on for much longer about this topic. And we will. And we will, because this is the whole thing. But hopefully... After listening to this, you understand a little bit more about what it means to be, quote, on the couch. That we're not just chilling, eating sleeves of Oreos, but (laughs) we're thinking about mental health and, and approaching life in a healthy way and hopefully helping you do the same thing. So, Dana... Three takeaways about therapy. About therapy. So it's hard to refine it down to three, but I think that the first is that if you are or if someone is struggling with something for two weeks or more, that would certainly be the time to seek treatment or consider treatment. And the discomfort is is an interference with your functioning, with your daily functioning. So eating, sleeping, concentration, work, relationships, two weeks seems to be the benchmark. The second is when you're looking for a therapist, although we didn't talk about this so specifically, but I do think that asking someone who you trust or who you know has seen a therapist to get a referral from someone that you know, I think can be sort of the best way. And a lot of times too, just as a slight caveat, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that you would see that person. A lot of times I get referrals from friends or roommates or boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, and I wouldn't necessarily see people the same, you know, I wouldn't be the therapist. Because you know the other patient and their life. If those two people, for example, had beef with each other, you couldn't be the person for both of them if they had something. Yes, and some people will see coworkers. I think it depends on the dynamics and things like that. But as a general rule, I wouldn't see someone who is closely connected to to the referral source. However, I would certainly provide somebody. And so a lot of times, like getting the name from a friend of a friend or, you know, a colleague of a a trusted therapist is one way to do it. And also having a general idea of what it is that you're looking for. Do you want something that's very short term? Do you want something where you're more curious and want insight? Do you not care and just want to feel better? Do you know that you are going to want medication? 
And a lot of times too, you know, once again, and if you're going for therapy and then you end up sort of coming to the idea or collectively that medication would be helpful or warranted, a therapist can also refer you to an MD and you can see both. Right, like you might go see the MD once every few months after you get an initial evaluation just to make sure because, you know, some medicines have side effects. Those are things you want to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And so it doesn't mean that you have to go once a week to one and once a week to the other. Right. And insurance usually will cover these things or Uh, the psychiatry or both both it should cover both however there are a lot of plans that only cover in-network providers and if that's the case in new york it's very it's harder to find people who are in network because it's a lot of um administrative and headachey um and financially is is harder to sustain a practice that way but certainly insurance absolutely if you have health insurance it has to have a mental health component now that's a parody parody oh yeah you go (laughs) and then the last is just a little bit of a general thought the most important part of being with a therapist is that you feel understood you don't necessarily have to love the person as if you would love them you know to go to to be your bff exactly But I think that if you feel like the person understands you, you feel comfortable and safe, and you feel like the person knows what they're doing and you have some confidence in them, it's a lot like dating, you know, that someone can look good on paper, but when you meet them, you actually feel no chemistry whatsoever. I think that that's a note to self because you want to feel comfortable enough that you're going to be able to reveal very, you know, deep and private information or do some kind of exploration. So you want to be able to trust the person or feel as if that person is trustworthy. So chemistry is is a critical part of the therapeutic The recipe. I mean, it seems though, like there are probably some people in the world who they're like, I have a hard time trusting people. Would you advise people like that to give it two or three sessions to see? Yeah. Absolutely. You can't. You don't always know the second you walk in the room, oh my gosh, us. And it's a very anxiety-producing situation to just go to someone who you know that you're eventually going to be disclosing very intimate, private material to. So yes, it will take a while. And also, I encourage people to at least interview or consult with more than one therapist, just to even have an idea, especially if you've never been in therapy before. There's such a vast array of styles and ways of doing therapy it almost seems like the fact that it's all under the umbrella of therapy but could be such a vastly different experience is amazing so i i encourage people to also maybe interview one or two just or three and consult with the person just and a lot of times therapists will either see someone for free initially for an initial consult or at a reduced fee. Or they'll have a phone conversation to see if you have any vibe match and if you feel listened to and heard and and to some degree understood on the phone. I've been able to vibe that out a little bit with people in the past. Uh Yeah. Or if they even return your call a lot of times. And that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We yeah, we had a, a flake situation where it was somebody who was wonderful but really kind of flaky mm-hmm. on the you know, and that mm. Anyway, one other thing, just a little caveat for mm-hmm. all of that, is that part of us living in this New York bubble and me having lived in an L.A. bubble previously with this is we know that we have an extraordinarily high number of mental health care professionals to 
choose from in these places, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of places where there is one person mm-hmm. for you know ten, yes. a thousand square miles yes. or something That's and a so very good point. and so if you're in one of those places hopefully what we've talked about here today can at least help you ask the right questions or advocate for yourself a little better to know what your choices are in terms of what you what you want or mm-hmm. when to seek help mm-hmm. and you know, get help if you need it mm-hmm. is the best we can say. And, and I hope that it works. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. Because we're so conscious of getting help if we don't feel well physically. It seems like when we're not feeling well mentally, we should also get help. It should be an integral part of our overall life. Right, because your mind and your body and your brain and your body, I heard they're connected. Yes. <laughs> All right, that brings us to our final section. No, you have to, which is a section where we tell you something that we think you should do, try, read, that'll make your life better. Mm. Do you have one, Dana? I have. I think I have one. It's not great. I'd rather you go first. Okay. So mine is twofold. One is that I... Uh, was at a party the other night, and I had read this Terry Gross article mm, in the New York Times yeah, yes. about how to make conversation with people. And even though I like people a lot, I I sometimes feel like I just stay in there like, uh-huh. don't know what to say to them. So I tried doing this at a party and asking a really open-ended question and learned about a woman who's my age who um, has rectal cancer. And I know it's super sad and difficult, but she had her colonoscopy that she was supposed to have when she turned 50 years old. Now the recommendations have been lowered to 45. She had it. They discovered it. She's young. She's healthy. It looks like they're going to be able to treat it really well. And so, yeah, it's low odds, but please, if you're 45 or over... (laughs) Go get that colonoscopy. I'm going to be frank. I didn't think the prep was as bad as everybody said it was. Mm. I, you know, and the procedure itself, I was out like a light. Yes. So it's just one of those things. Take care of yourself. I mean, we talked about your mental shit. Now we're talking about the other <laughs> kind uh, deal with yourself. Take care of yourself, people. Yeah. <laughs> so such good advice. You know, next time we'll talk about mascaras. Well, actually, I was going to say, and I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready, that actually mine is a little like Yeah, do it. We need that. Do you use pour refiner? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Underneath your The benefit one? I love that that one. Yeah. That's the one. Perfection. Yes. That's exactly the one that I use. I don't have it on today, obviously. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. How about, can you tell that I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a smooth, blurred effect. Yeah. You that can is... barely tell where your nose stops and your cheeks start. <laughs> I, don't know. I know I didn't know what to blow this morning. <laughs> Leave it at that. But that stuff is great. Yeah, if I'm if I'm spending extra time on my makeup and really want to look good, yes. I always use that stuff. It's a really great, and I feel like I finally got into the stage of life where I do wear foundation most days. Oh, yeah. But this is a whole new level of foundation, and it's primer. 
Yeah, you put it on before. And I've tried mm. other brands mm. and the Benefit Porefection, isn't that what yes, it's called? Yes, that is the That's one that still I use. the best one that I've tried. The other ones get a little too slick. Yep. And this one really blends nicely. I find it very hilarious that I believe I've looked at the ingredients and they say liquid vinyl. <laughs> And I don't care. <laughs> Do I look like a record? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to play you, girl. Um, anyway, well, that's our show for today. Yeah, Two moms therapy. on the couch. That's therapy. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe, like, follow, love. You know all this stuff. <laughs> right. Wherever podcasts are sold, we will talk to you soon. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.